Hey guys, welcome back to the Wisdom and Stuff podcast. I'm your host, Daryl Boucher, and this is where we cut through the Christianese and tradition-based thoughts that hinder us from the limitless lifestyles that we as actual children of God are designed to walk in. So let's go ahead and dive into the Word and see what the Holy Spirit has for us today. Okay, well, welcome back to Wisdom and Stuff Podcast. This is part two with Robert Shufflebein. Welcome, Robert. Hey, happy to be here. Okay, well, and we're going to get back into, we've been talking about uh, just kind of uh, ceasing striving when it comes to overcoming sin, overcoming uh, just behavior problems that, that we may be facing in, in our life, um, and understanding that I think one of the things we do need to settle, and I talked about it just briefly last time, but is, is that we can live sin-free. Um, and, uh, and, um, one of the things, um, one of the things I realized, uh, years ago was that for those, most of the time people are just too sin conscious, right? I mean, that's, that's probably one of the biggest problems in the body of Christ right. is just a sin consciousness instead of what we call righteousness consciousness. And so we haven't shifted the identity of our consciousness to being, uh, righteous. Instead, we still think that we're sinners mm-hmm. trying to live godly. Well, how many times have you heard, "Oh, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace." Yeah. So yeah, that that's that, that's still keeping the identity of sinner and not yes, you know, saint. Yeah, and that it it, it says that you know, God that Jesus is able to save me to the uttermost. You know, spirit, soul, and body, it says, to preserve me blameless unto the coming of the Lord. <laughs> well, right. I think it's pretty simple right there. You know, it's like he preserves me blameless, spirit, soul, and body in the coming of the Lord. Um, now, it, it obviously, I have a part to play in that. I need to believe that. I need to walk from that place. But uh, but I think there's still there's still Christians who uh, have been told or implied or thought that they— that, that, that was relegated to heaven. That, that we really we you know being on the earth means we have to sin, and mm-hmm. um, and like that's not that's not anywhere in the word. Uh, obviously, people do sin and all that. There's no there's no shame or condemnation tied to it. But we need to first of all choose to believe that that God's grace and His salvation is so complete that He never intended us to continue sinning. Yeah, and uh, and it's it's uh, you know like I like I said in First John you know it says that. You know, if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. It doesn't say when; it just says if. Mm-hmm. If perchance you sin, <laughs> you know, we have an advocate with the Father. But you know, we shouldn't be doing that all the time. And uh, but one thing I found out years ago was um, to live free from sin. I first had to I had to understand that I was sin free, and so to live free from sin, I had to be sin free first. And um, and that's that's and you could do it by either way. It doesn't matter which way you say it. But it's like. Until I identify as being free from sin, I'm never going to actually be free from yeah. sin. And uh, and when that hit me, uh, and realizing, wow, there's such freedom in that, that God gave me a new identity that is sin-free, then I could live totally free from sin. Yeah. And I, I, I because because the um, the the true bondage that or the, the the tether that I had to sin was in my identity, and it wasn't it wasn't in anything else but my identity. And that was the only thing drawing me back to it. Doesn't mean there wasn't temptation. It just meant that the only power that temptation had really was in my identity. Mm-hmm. And so I'd like to kind of get into that some a little bit this time, and um, uh, just understanding that how big our our sin free identity is, and uh, and um, and just how we deal with that in it really in the moment of temptation. You know, how do we get to that point? Because you know it says that Jesus was tempted in every way, right? Uh, he was tempted in every way without sin, right? So. Um, so here, Jesus, he was tempted, but did he, he never sinned. 
So uh, the temptation itself doesn't carry with it an inherent condemnation. Otherwise, Jesus would be condemned his whole life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, here he was tempted in every way, but he didn't carry condemnation. So, so temptation is not sin, is what I'm trying to get at. Yeah. Temptation and sin are two totally different things. Temptation is when you know you're offered something, and then and your mind actually considers it for a half a second, you know, or more than a half a second, depending on how far you go with it. <laughs> right. But but it's not sin. Right. Not it's, sin. Yeah. Not sin. And and sin is not sin. We think of sin as um, as a behavior, uh, wrong behavior, you know, uh, whatever. Uh, we think of it as something in the physical realm, put it that way. But sin actually begins in the heart um, because, uh, you know, it's, it's like a little child. Okay, for instance, um, uh, so let's say you have a two-year-old. And um, a two-year-old uh, who just it takes a crayon and goes and, and draws a nice picture on the wall for mom. You know, and and draws a really nice picture and says, I love you, mom, on there, or whatever, if they can spell it two years right. old, which they usually can't. But you know what I'm saying. It's a genius two-year-old. Yeah. And it, and it, 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 it draws a really awesome picture, says, I love you, mom, genius two-year-old. And then he goes in, and his mom's in the kitchen doing something or whatever, and uh, and he goes, hey, mom, I drew you something. Come and look at it. <laughs> well, <laughs> now, the action was wrong, but it wasn't sin. Right. Because the heart wasn't in it as sin. Right. Right. And so the same thing could be can be said about a lot of things where people can can do the right action the wrong way and it can be sin, mm-hmm. you know, uh, but the action itself doesn't determine whether it's sin or not. Uh, and, and so people think that they sinned when they did something. Right. That's not when you sinned. The sin came when our hearts meditated that and actually produced it into something. And um, uh, it's like uh, uh, there's a verse. uh let me read this verse here. It's in James. Well, you got anything to add while I'm looking this up, or are you good? Yeah, and, and so that since, since the behavior itself isn't sin, then the same action for one person could be sin, and for another, it's not sin. Exactly right. You know, we, we, Paul talked about eating meat offered to idols and, and said, you know, if your heart condemns you, then then you're sinning. But yes. if your heart doesn't condemn you, then it's for you it's not sin. Yeah, that's exactly right. So here he's saying... Exactly that, that, that uh, the sin is not defined by action. Yeah. And uh, it's defined by the heart. And, mm-hmm. and that's important for us to know, that it's, 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 uh, if it's defined by the heart, then the battle is won in the heart. Yes. Right? So the battle is not won whether or not I did something or didn't do something. <laughs> 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 Whatever I did something or did, that's the fruit of the battle being won or lost. Yeah. Right? <laughs> that's just the fruit of it. Yeah. But if all I do is like Jesus said, the good man, the good treasure, you know, of his heart produces good things, and the evil man, the evil treasure produces evil things. And then when we when we say the word evil, we're not talking about just you know maniacal Hitlerish actions. Right. Uh, God says that unbelief is evil. That's mm-hmm. what he says in Hebrews chapter three. And so, um, so uh, when he says evil, he's not talking about just somebody who goes out and mass murders people. Uh, he's talking about you know there, there's there's a uh, something in your heart that's happening that doesn't look like God and it's producing fruit that doesn't look like God. Yeah. But if all I do is say, well, I hate that action, man, I hate that action, and I'm trying to arm wrestle an action without really first addressing my heart, then I'm just picking fruit and it's going to come back. You know, because that's what trees do. They bear fruit. Yeah. And so it's going to keep coming back, and you're going to even think that you got it dealt with for a little while, but all you did was just change the season. <laughs> and then when the season comes back around, same fruit's going to happen um, because it's a heart issue. And um, and so here he says uh, in James chapter 1, 
He says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempts he any man. That's a big verse, because a lot of people still think they get tempted by God. They Mm -hmm. think that God uses temptation to teach them something. Yeah. And I just tell you right now, God and the devil are not tag team partners, okay? <laughs> <laughs> they don't, they are not, anyway, we'll, we'll keep going. Uh, it says, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin. And when it is finished, it brings forth death. And so here he tells us, he says, so he, he tells us, number one, it's not from God, but he goes, here's what happens. Every man is tempted. Here's where temptation comes from, he says. It's when you're drawn away of your own lust and you're enticed. And then he says, and then lust lust actually conceives. It conceives in our heart. And then it brings forth sin. And then sin, when it's finished, it brings forth death. But um, but just just getting to the point of where, where this temptation comes from, what do we do when we're tempted? Now, first of all, what we were talking about last time is understanding that the underlying freedom in this is not arm wrestling things, not striving against them, but it's actually the love of God. Right. right. And so, uh, so with that, I guess, I guess, I guess a question that I want to kind of explore a little bit, um, is so in a, in kind of a practical way, I guess, um, first of all, and we'll get into to a little bit more temptation here in a second, but, um, uh, so in a practical way, when somebody's being tempted, you know, what 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 would our, our inner thoughts or our, our verbiage or even what's coming out of our mouth, what would that sound like different uh, with understanding the truth about God's love versus not? Like, what, what would our thoughts, what, what rabbit trail does our thought take, you know, not knowing the love of God versus knowing the love of God? Mm-hmm. I just want to explore that a little bit. What do you think about that? Yeah, so I would I would think you know not knowing the love of God, it's like oh you know hey that looks pretty good, you know what's a little what's wrong with a little bit of that, mm-hmm. and then knowing the love of God is you know, like then the difference is oh that, that that temptation is that's not I don't want that because that's not in God's character, right? And and, and I don't want that because that isn't born out of love. Okay. You know, and, yep. and God, God is love. You know, it's not just an attribute he has. That's his. That's his. The prime essence. Yes. Is, right. is love, and so so anything. So then, when we're exposed to his love, then we start to look at at temptation through the lens of okay, is this action a love or not? And and so then it's like okay, now I see this action for what it is. It's not love, and so I don't want anything to do with it because it's not God. Yeah, and, and with that, I think, um, uh, you know, using that filter of whether or not it is love or not love, and and also um, knowing the love of our Father, saying, well, um, not only do we know that it's not, it doesn't line up with the love of God, but also that He's loved us enough to give us freedom from this already. Mm-hmm. You know, where it's, it's, once again, I'm not arm wrestling whether it's right or not, you know, we know, yeah, I, I don't know about you, but you know, in the, in the behaviors that I've, that I've gotten free from in the past, I knew they were sin. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. I, it wasn't a real big question whether or not they were right or not. It was a question of how do I stop this habitual behavior? Mm-hmm. And, and, and it is a love of God. Like, like the, the verse was saying, um, uh, if you have the love of the father in you, the love of the world is not in you, you know? You, so, so, um, so you, 
So the more we magnify the love of God, the less even appetite yeah. for those things is going to be there. Yeah. And so it's a matter of displacing the appetite yeah. rather than arm wrestling the temptation itself, right? For sure. So if you, uh, you know, I, 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 if, if I'm in the kitchen and Rachel's cooking some cauliflower, not a big temptation for me. I have no appetite for that. <laughs> you know, yeah. I don't have to walk by and go, don't eat cauliflower. No, I have to do the opposite. Be like, maybe I should have some cauliflower. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but you see, I, I'm, not, I'm not tempted with cauliflower because there's an appetite there for yeah. it. And so, so um, I, I, I think it's even giving God enough credit to say that he never intended us to battle the temptation on the temptation side. He intended us to displace and replace our appetite with his love right. and with his goodness. Right. We're never actually empty. Like we can right. feel empty when we don't fill up with, with the word of God, but right. we're never actually empty. We're just full of something else. That's right. And so right. one thing has to be displaced to fill, you know, to put the other in. Yes. We're never empty yeah. containers. We're full containers. Yeah. So if the, to be full of the love that that naturally displaces the love of the world, mm-hmm. or if you're not, you know, continually filling up on love, then the love of the world will displace. You know, it's one thing displacing yeah. the other. Yeah, that that is a huge, huge thing to say because uh, we're in the world, and this, the, the 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 then the love of God is not in the world. Yeah, the love of God is in us, but it's not in the world. So if all I'm doing is is hanging out in the world all day long, mm-hmm. then like you said, if I'm never, if I'm not choosing to to invest in the love of God that's actually been shed abroad in my heart, if I'm not choosing that, then the world, just through natural environment, will will displace the 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 influence of the love of God in my heart. Right. Uh, but yeah, that's that's a huge thing because, um, you know, when when we uh, people arm wrestle things way too much, and they're they're even Jesus said he said, well, you know, he goes if you if you cast a devil out of somebody, but you don't fill that up again. Mm-hmm. Then seven worse comes back, right? Yeah. And so he's just saying this isn't about keeping something empty; it's about keeping something full. Yeah. And uh, and so the I think too many times we're like the word says if we if we if we walk in the spirit we don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Yeah. He didn't say arm wrestle the flesh. Mm-hmm. He said just walk in the spirit. Just focus on this. That will displace the lust of the flesh. Yeah. And um, and I'm mean, here when now when we say lust, that's what my I usually like to get into a little bit because when we say the word lust. Uh, typically, our American brain um, typically goes to sexual sin, right? right? And so it's usually like whatever you're sexually attracted to, what blah blah whatever who knows. But it's but it's a sexual sin, and and obviously uh, lust uh, encompasses that. That's part of sure. lust, but that's not the definition of lust. And so the the definition of lust is not it really doesn't doesn't confine it to, to sexual things at all. Obviously, it is um, it actually is an appetite, mm-hmm. but it it's an appetite that comes from a perceived need. And so that's really where lust comes from. Lust comes from a perceived need. Yeah, where we believe we need something, and so we have an appetite for it because we believe we need it. It's a genuine feeling. <laughs> It's not just something that's that's where people are like, yeah, but I'm addicted to this. Well, yeah, because you built up an appetite for it, so now you have a perceived need for that. Yeah. And I'm not discounting the perception of the need. I'm not saying that that's not that's not that doesn't feel real. Um uh man, people have perceived needs for all kinds of things. Yeah. Uh and it's been built up over time, but um but it's a matter of saying, okay, well, 
it says it says the only time I get tempted is when I'm drawn away of my own lusts. Yeah. That tells me it doesn't say that you're drawn away of general lust. It's your own lust. So you have a perceived need that that growing up in a certain culture tried to make you aware of, right? Tried to build a perceived need based on your culture, your whatever, the way that your parents raised you, your emotional, dysfunctional, whatever. You know what I'm saying? It's right. just stuff. Right. And and I have my own perceived needs that were that 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 grew up as I was growing up that that started to build because I felt this way or I felt that way or whatever you know there was some kind of dysfunction going on because it wasn't heaven okay right. and so uh, and so so we're led away and enticed by our own lust by our own perceived needs now your perceived need probably different than my perceived need so like for instance you know like I grew up in a household that had a lot of drugs and alcohol all over the place. Um, and, uh, but I never had that perceived need, even though I was around it all the time. I never had that perceived need. Mm -hmm. I honestly don't care at all about drugs and alcohol. (laughs) And, uh, I I was around it all the time. We did all kinds of stuff. I mean, there was stuff all over the place. And, uh, and I, man, in the environment, I definitely could have given myself to that at any time, but I had no perceived need toward that. And, and here's the funny thing is the reason why I never gave myself to that was not because I was magically born with an immunity against it. It was because, um, it was because the only self-worth I had growing up was my brain, was my intellect, uh, because I didn't have really any self-worth outside of my intellect. Uh, at that, that, that time I didn't know this, but now looking back, I know what was going on. And so I had, my intellect was the only self-worth that I had. Yeah. And I had um, a really good deterrent called my big brother that was in, <laughs> did all kinds of drugs and alcohol and fried his brain out pretty good. And so I'm like, I only got one card. I got one card. It's called my intellect, you know, and I'm not going to mess up my one card. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, so that was the deterrent. The deterrent was not that I was like magically immune to drugs and alcohol. It's just that my self-worth, the need for self-worth, the, per- the perceived need for self-worth trumped the perceived need for drugs and alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so that's, that's just how it worked was I was, I, I gravitated, gravitated away from drugs and alcohol, had no appetite for it because I had an appetite for self-worth that the only thing to me was tied to my intellect. And if, and if I messed with that, then I had nothing. And so, um, so it wasn't some spiritual godly thing. It was just, I would, I just had my intellect. That was all I had. And then that later on, you know, that turned into a lot of pride and nonsense and I won't get into all that. But, um, but but the thing is, though, even though I had no perceived need nor appetite toward, um, uh, toward drugs and alcohol, I had perceived needs toward other things, right? So I, I had perceived needs toward, like, sexual sin, whereas other people don't have that problem at all, you know? Yeah. But they might be in drugs and alcohol. You know, it's, it's just, it's your own lust. It's your own perceived need that draws you away. Because if there's no, if there's no perceived need, there's no temptation. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so it's like, uh, it's like, if, you know, I, you know, I tell people, it's like, if, if somebody walks up to me on the street and let's just say I have, uh, um, let's say I, I don't have any money. I've got like 10 bucks to my name and my rent is due like the next day. You know what I'm saying? So now I have a perceived need because yeah. I have bills due and I have no money. And so if somebody comes up to me and I don't know this person from anybody, they're a stranger. And they come up to me and they say, I've got this package that I want you to take to the airport and just put it under one of the seats. That's all. There's nothing in it. It's okay. 
<laughs> well, that's not a very smart idea, right? right? And so, so I'd be like, yeah, no, I'm not doing that. And they're like, well, I'll tell you what, I'll give you, I'll give you 30 bucks. I'll give you 30 bucks. Now that's not going to be a temptation because you know, 30 bucks is, is, is um, and see my mind is weighing it. Right? It's not enough to meet your need, your not, perceived need. Exactly right. Not enough to meet my perceived need. So then they say, well, tell you what, um, and they, they, they not only promise, they actually get some cash out of their pocket, right? They, it's there. The cash is right there. They're like, I have $10,000 right here. I'll just give it to you. It's yours. Just take it with the package. That's all you got to do. And there's nothing in the package. It doesn't matter. I said, I just, I just want my friend to pick it up. You know, I, I, that's all. I just, I just need my friend to pick it up at the airport, yeah. you know? <laughs> <laughs> but now here's the thing. If I have a perceived need, that might begin to, my mind now might begin to justify it, right? Mm-hmm. Now I start asking the guy questions, trying to verify there's nothing wrong in the box, right? So I'm like, well, you know, it's not that big. You know, it's only this big. It can't sure. be. It can't be a big bomb. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to. Even if it is a bomb, you know. And I'm like, I'm shaking the package. <laughs> Oh, I'm trying to justify yeah. me yielding to a temptation. I don't know if you've ever been there before, but I've been there lots of times where yeah. the moment you start having the conversation with the temptation, you've lost the temptation. Just like the moment Eve started, Eve started talking to the snake, immediately she should have just said, let's go talk to God about that. Yeah, you know. But if you're not talking to God and you're talking to the temptation... You've lost the battle. It's done. You know, and uh, but the thing is, the perceived need is what gets you into the conversation. The perceived need, and so if you don't have a perceived need, so so same scenario. Let's, the guy, you know, he's offering me ten thousand dollars worth of cash right there, whatever, you know, and I'm like wrestling with this thing, and um, so uh, so that temptation now has leverage because of perceived need, and uh, but now the same thing. Let's say the same 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 situation, same exact situation. I'm on the street. Stranger comes up. Same package. Same ten thousand dollars, but I know that I have a hundred thousand dollars in the bank. Would there be any temptation in that? No. No. Well, why, why take the risk for that? Right. There's no risk. It, be, it won't pay off. There's no payment no. there because there's no perceived need. It's not that the temp, not not that the scenario is any different. The scenario is exactly the same. The only difference is my awareness of resource is different. That's the only difference. So my awareness of resource now has is is the only indicator of whether or not something is tempting to me or not. Yeah. Right, and so, um, and so I think this is really important for people to understand. That we have to stop focusing on the temptation part of it and start focusing on the awareness of resource. Because mm-hmm. if we can fuel, the, that's a displacement, right? We're displacing displacement. perceived need with the awareness of resource. Yes, I can't just come against perceived need. I can't just say, well, I know when I was a kid I thought like this, so now I need to think like. No, I need to actually replace it. I actually have to to displace the perceived need with an awareness of resource. And I think that's where the love of God comes in. I think that's the whole point. It's like, well, if I understand that God, that the love of God is shed abroad in my heart, and what that means to have the love of God, that the love of God is manifest to me in every way. I mean, it says, like we already read in 1 John, where he says, we know and believe the love that God has toward us. It's yeah. toward us. It's literally toward us. It's not just something. It's toward me. And so if I know that, then then there's an awareness of a resource. Yeah. And that I think that I think too many times people fall to temptation simply because they're not um they're not aware of the resource. They're trying to battle something that's coming from perceived need. Yeah. Um, so good. So anyway, uh but yeah, that uh now um 
with you, not that it needs to get all personal, but but it, uh, like, it, did you uh, recognize anything that you were like either tempted by generally or perceived needs like when you were growing up that you had to deal with when you got when you started walking in the Lord or what? Uh, yeah, yeah, um, and, and that's exactly it. Those those perceived needs. It was it was for me. It was like the need for you know, the need for, to be loved and valued. Okay. You know, and, and, and so the need for, for love and value drove me to, you know, different temptations to try to, to try to, to try to fill that need. Yeah. Yeah. And and nothing ever can. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing ever can, but Jesus. And because it's already done. That's the thing. Yeah. And, and, and like, oh, I knew I knew it was never going to help every time. Yeah. You know, and I'd keep doing the same thing knowing it's not going to bring the satisfaction I'm after. But it's it's like just the awareness of what really will help wasn't there. Right. You know. Yeah. Yeah, and that's 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 huge because it's it, God you know he you know the 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 appetites for those things are not wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just it's just allowing God to meet those appetites. Right. So the appetite, you know, for love, for acceptance, for you know, you know, even self validation or for self worth or whatever it is, um, the appetites for those things are not wrong. There are some obviously appetites that that have been been perverted. Yes. And and they're not of God. We know that. But yeah. but I'm just talking about, you know, uh your natural appetites. Right. The devil isn't creative enough to come up with his own new things. He right. just perverts you know what God has made. Yeah, exactly right. So and so just uh you know, even with that like because I think about that with um you know, with when temptation comes, you know, just if we can have the love of God so big in us that Number one, we don't get condemned when temptation comes. Mm-hmm. Christ was tempted in every point, but he didn't get condemned by it. It's not like you know. Once it's kind of like when uh, when I uh, back in junior high, I was like in on you know, football team or whatever. I remember on football practice, uh, you know, the the coach saying, "Hey, if you get hit, get up." You know, it's like don't just lay on the ground and say, "Oh, look, I got tackled." You know, it's like, <laughs> no, you get up. The play is still going. Yeah. You know, and uh, and then you know, the word says that the righteous fall seven times, but they get up again. You know, and it's not a matter of whether or not you whether or not you get tempted. Jesus got tempted. Mm-hmm. You know, we're gonna get tempted. It's a matter of number one, not taking that as as uh, uh, condemnation, mm-hmm. but number two, saying, okay, the only reason I'm tempted right now is because there's a perceived need that that somewhere in me I don't believe is being met by God right now. Yeah, the truth is, it is being met by God. He's already given me all things that pertain to life and godliness. Praise God. Mm-hmm. But with with like Adam and Eve. Eve, you know, the, 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 the serpent was able to tempt her, uh, and saying, Hey, God knows the one, once you eat this fruit, you're going to be made wise and you're going to be made just like him. She was already like him and in his likeness, in his image. Yeah. And she already had wisdom, but there was a perceived need. And so the perceived need was, had a louder voice than the reality that she was actually with, actually walking out with God. And then when she sowed into that perceived need, she of course partook of the fruit, gave it to her, her to, to to Adam. Adam partook of the fruit, and then um, uh, then they were separated from the very thing that they already had. So when 
when we when we when we basically sow and act on that perceived need, we create the very need. Yeah. And that's the amazing thing is that that the enemy is always trying to get us to create the need we feel we already have. And we get farther and farther away from God every time we do those things. And it's just this cycle of perceived need, you know, temptation, trying to get that perceived need met by something that's not God. And then in doing so, we get further and further away from the very thing that God's already given us. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and although God never leaves us to forsake us, praise God. Now we're in a new covenant. We have a better covenant than Adam and Eve. Yeah. And he never leaves us. And so uh, I can, you know, the, the moment I sin, I can confess my sins. And he's faithful and just forgive me of my sins, mm-hmm. cleanse me of all unrighteousness. And I'm, I, I've never lost communion with him. Praise mm-hmm. God. But it's a matter of displacing that with a, an awareness, I think, of just what does his love really mean? And, and not, um, I guess. I guess with that, you know what? Uh, I know we need to wrap it up. We're already out of time. But uh, <laughs> um, to you, uh, what what do you think? People is is there uh, some kind of a maybe a I don't know a, a definition that maybe gets lost in translation when we talk about the love of God? Because sometimes I think that can get really almost like churchy or spiritual, but it doesn't translate to our daily life. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't translate to the time of temptation or or when we're feeling perceived need. Um, you know, uh, what do you think that is? Or do you have any thoughts toward that? Okay, well, um, no. you know, I mean, because I mean, we know that you know, we can, like I said, we can say we know the love of God. Yeah, but um, but I think sometimes people, um, they 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 think of the love of God as a kind feeling God has toward us, right? Instead of knowing that God so loved the world that He gave, right? You know, and that this is the demonstration of God's love toward us is that while we were yet sinners. He died for us, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a, there is a, his love is not, I, I think that's just something that we need to get a hold of when we're talking about le- allowing the love of God to, to displace things, mm-hmm. that his love isn't just a kind feeling he has toward us, you know, yeah. there's a demonstration that impacts and affects us in every way, spirit, soul, and body. Yeah. And I think otherwise, I mean, if, if I walk up and I, and I, I lay hands on something and they get healed, that's the love of God, mm-hmm. just loving them, right? God, I'm allowing God to love them through me. That's what's happening. And his love manifested in healing. Yeah. And so that's a physical out, a physical demonstration of his love. But if I don't believe that his love is physical, then I'll sit there with sickness in my body, knowing that God loves me forever, <laughs> you know, right. and never know that it's demonstrated through healing and that it can affect me in a physical way. And uh, I think that same thing can happen when it comes through even emotional uh, perceived needs. We just don't, yeah. we don't, and I, we'll get into this probably uh, you know, on another cast when we're talking about solar stuff, but, uh, um, but anyway, I just, I think, I think one of the things that we can speak into on that is just redefining God's love out of a kind of a metaphysical feeling, yeah. <laughs> you know, and realizing, no, this is actually his love manifests in every physical, soulish, psychological, emotional, financial way. And if I don't know that, then I'm going to try to meet all those needs myself. Yeah. Even though I know God loves me. <laughs> you know? I mean, okay, God loves me, but I need to do this by myself. Yeah. And I need to make meet this need, this need, this need. And yet Jesus, in his life, he was demonstrating the love of the Father. He goes, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. 
And what was he doing? He was going around, you know, and he it says that he was healing all those oppressed of the devil because God was with him, right? So, mm-hmm. so he's doing the will of the Father all the time, not just in physical healing. He also did it financially too, right? right. I mean, he, you know, uh, I mean, I guess you could probably think of one. Yeah, the, all the the so much fish that the nets were breaking. Yeah, or or the coin in the fish's mouth. Right. Or or the multiplying of the loaves and fishes. Right. So, so this is the love of God, yeah. and and he's trying to make a point saying. You know, you, you know, even when when Peter when the the nets were about to break, mm-hmm. and then Peter gets out of the boat and he, he falls on his knees and he says, "Depart from me, I'm a sinful man." <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and so right there, you see that Peter was not he had never seen the love of God displayed that way, and it it actually it actually magnified his own unworthiness. Yeah. in the moment, and uh, so he, I I think it's it's you know, we we have to. Under, just just agreeing that God loves us is 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 great, but to know and believe the love that God has toward us and for us, I think is a little bit different. You yeah. know where we, it says in Ephesians, you know chapter three that we can know the length, height, and depth, and breadth of the and know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, and we'll be filled with all the fullness of God. Then, mm-hmm. and whereas like that's the displacement we're talking about. Well, and, and what's really interesting, it says in that verse it says it passes knowledge, so yes. it's more than just ahead understanding yeah that's you know, good it has to be a heart revelation yeah and that has to you know the you know the world says we, we you know we believe with our heart that's 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 uh that's where we believe is in our heart and we can take it in the information we can agree with the information we can we can say yes i agree with all that and we're not even we're not even coming against it but until we believe it it doesn't do anything in our lives yeah and uh, people can believe that Jesus died for their sins, but until they accept Jesus as Lord and Savior by believing and speaking, <laughs> they can actually go to hell. Yeah, actually agreeing that Jesus died for their their sins, but not actually believing it. And mm-hmm. uh, well, I mean, even even the you know demons know yeah. who God is and they tremble. Right, exactly. But right. they're not they're not going to be saved. Yeah, they're not saved. Yeah, but they still have an, an acknowledgement. Yeah. they don't even they don't even doubt that that He's God. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so it's. I think when we're talking about having having his love displace things, um, you know, I, I think it has to be that tangible love, that that tangible, the love that that literally comes in and changes every aspect of our life, physically, emotionally, um, and just just asking the Father. I think that's one of the biggest things we can do, is just go to Him and and ask Him. Um, you know, what does this look like, Father? I don't know how to believe your love. <laughs> you yeah. Know? I mean, there's nothing that I came up with. He gave me the power to breathe. You mm-hmm. know, I can't even say these words without him giving me the power. So why would I even think I need to come up with this by myself? Yeah. And I think sometimes we feel very inept spiritually because we don't know how to do certain things when he just wants us to come. Right. And just be like, okay, Father, how do I believe you? How do I, how do I displace that? How do I, whatever. And, uh, and just help me. Like like the the guy said to Jesus, help my unbelief, <laughs> and Jesus did. He just healed his son, uh, and uh, and God will meet. He will he will make up the difference, as long as we just come and say, okay, show me how to know that you love me. Show me how how does your love take care of this part of my soul? Just ask him. Yeah, and, uh, and he'll do it. He'll just meet it. Um, but uh, with that, we, we didn't get into the sonship part of it yet, but uh, I guess we'll do that next time. So anyway, let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you once again, Lord God, just for your word. And we thank you, Lord, just for your love and uh, just 
Ah, we just allow you to show us, Father God. I just speak for everybody, Father God, listening, and we just allow you to show us your love. We allow you to show us what it means to allow your love to meet every need, spirit, soul, and body, to, Father God, overturn perceived needs, displace those perceived needs with your love and with your goodness. And we just thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today on Wisdom and Stuff. Don't forget to subscribe to get new updates and check out our podcast page on Podbean to find all our previous posts and full-length messages. We'll see you next time and have a blessed day.